is never the underdog. Yes, sir. It's never the underdog. What's up, Duke fans? Welcome to the Devil's Den podcast. I'm your host, Josh Smith, joined by my co-host, Raul. want to welcome back Travis Branham this week to the podcast. Um, if you're not familiar, Travis came on last summer. We talked a little bit about the recruiting class. Um, we're going to do that again for the 2023 class. Travis is a recruiting and national basketball analyst for 247 Sports. Um, so happy to have him back on. Um, Travis, I guess we'll kind of just jump right into it. So currently, I think Duke still remains as the number two class uh, overall for 247 Sports. Now, that is with uh, Mackenzie McBacco decommitting. We've covered that already. So not going to get too much into that here. Um, but I'm going to kind of go through them in terms of where they're ranked. So the first one on my list is Jared McCain, 6'2 guard out of Centennial High School, uh, McDonald's All-American, won the three-point contest. I think he's 12th right now in uh, 247's rankings. Travis, what do you like about Jared? How do you think his game kind of is going to translate as a freshman next year at Duke? Pretty deep backcourt. Um, what concerns maybe do you have? And just kind of what's a, a global take of his game? Yeah, so he's one of the uh, highest floor prospects in this class. Um, his blend of IQ, feel for the game, and his skill set um, are all immediately going to translate to the next level. There's no doubt in my mind that he is going to have an impact on day one. Um, like you said, at McDonald's, he won a three-point contest, one of the best shooters in the entire country. Um, but he brings more than just shooting the basketball and scoring. He's actually, uh, like I said, high IQ, great feel for the game. So he can uh, take the ball and, and really command the team. Um been a high-level winner and competitor in every single stage that you've watched him in. Um, so the concerns with him uh, really rely uh, in his physical tools. He's not very gifted. I mean, we have him listed at six foot six foot two. That might be a tad generous, uh, maybe six foot one. And he's already physically filled out. Uh, he is his body is ready for for tomorrow. But that doesn't uh, bode well if you're projecting for long-term potential. Um, but at, at the college level, what does that even matter? Right. Right. Um, so he is going to be, a, a in my opinion, a multi-year guy, um, and a guy that's going to have a very, very good college basketball career. So really no concern with him in any sort of, uh, standing as, unless you're talking long-term NBA potential. Um, and at McDonald's, I was there, uh, of all the guys that week. He was arguably, he was top three performer, uh, I would say, of that entire prop. Um, he was outstanding, especially in practices. That's where you get the most feel and uh, the best evaluation for, for that last kind of hoorah for these guys. Um, and his ability to just impact both on and off the ball uh, really stood out. And he, he really had a, a great weekend. So he's coming into Duke. Um, really on the right trajectory. He's not one of those guys that's really plateaued. I mean, um, just continue to produce and improve and um, just, again, be one of the best players in this class. 
Travis, do you like him more on ball or off the ball kind of offensively when you've seen him? Or does it seem to really matter? Do you think kind of at the college level, maybe as that secondary creator, or do you like him more kind of ball in the hand? He's going to kind of lead and initiate everything. Obviously, next year we got Proctor, so probably not the case. But going forward, do you see him kind of developing more as that point guard or really staying true to the combo? You know, there's not many of these players that I can ever say this about, but I honestly don't have a preference with him because he's so fluidly able to play both on and off. And that's something I absolutely love about Jared McCain. And again, there's only a few players that I can actually say that about as they come into college. One that has always jumped out to me was Tyrese Maxey when he came into Kentucky. Mm-hmm. His ability to impact the game both on and off the ball is like whatever the team needs in whatever circumstance, it's that versatility of a guard. Like if I can throw you off the ball, that's freaking awesome. If I can put you on the ball and you're just as effective, gosh, that's such a weapon to have, yeah. uh, such a valuable asset. So to, it's a non-answer to your question, but – that's me speaking praise to Jared because he is so fluidly able to play both on and off the ball. Long term, I'm projecting two, three years out when he's a junior. I'd probably say the game slows down so much for him at that point. Where you're going to put him on the ball and he's just going to pick people apart. Yeah. Uh, but again, and when, he, when he's off the ball, he's one of those guys that's always moving. He knows how to get open. He knows where to find the open spots and he's going to knock down shots. Um, so. He's he's going to be a, a uh, very, um, very strong piece for this Duke roster, I think, again, for two, three years on down the line. Yeah, yeah. crowd favorite, too. He's got a big kind of TikTok social media following, so I'm sure um, Campus Life will be fun with, with Jared around. I was, I was going to ask something about him. Uh, so I was looking through his recruiting ranking history, and he was in the 30s, and now he's up to 12. What improvements has he made that caused that jump? Um, I would say, honestly, more than anything, it's been his consistency, um, but also something from a team perspective. So we have a team of five guys that do these rankings, and so everybody sees something different um, in, in the, each of these players. And so with Jared, as we were going through these last batch of rankings, I would say for the last year or so, um, something that jumped out to my teammates uh, in particular was his playmaking. Honestly, that was something I always loved about him early. Um, but that was something that everybody else started, uh, really starting to pick up on and like, wow, this kid's not just an off ball score. Um, again, his shot, he became more consistent. I would say there were some times where maybe we saw him have an off night shooting the basketball and that kind of drew some caution. Um, but not only was he more consistent shooting the basketball, but also just him proving that he is very, very capable of being a lead point guard. Um, and I think that that was a big factor uh, in him just staying steady. One, I mean, like you said, he started at 30. I think he was basically in that 30 to 25 range. He never really, I don't know if he ever slid at all, um, which is rare. Um, whereas some of these other guys in this class have really plateaued in their development. And Jared has always remained steady and then continued to prove that he's both able to play on and off the ball. And so that really jumped out to not only me, but everybody else gradually as he kind of uh, continued throughout his high school career. And you mentioned kind of his body too. And I think kind of like a year ago, he had done some like really work commitment on that end, kind of really toned up. 
um physically stamina seems great just run off ball screens all day um well let's pivot for sake of time here to our next guy so coming in at 16th on the rankings we have sean stewart uh six eight forward out of montverde um another mcdonald all-american dunk contest winner so duke kind of swept the bag in that one uh kind of a hybrid forward uh you know maybe a, a five and a force body type deal uh a little bit of ability to stretch there Travis, for you, where do you see Sean fitting in? Do you see him kind of playing alongside an additional guy in the post? Do you think he could be a small ball five? What's his kind of ceiling look like for you? He He's become one of the harder evaluations, I would say, out of this whole class. Um, when Duke took him as a he, – he committed early. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, six – I mean, six foot eight, we got him listed that. I think that's, again, gracious. He's more six six, six foot seven. So, yeah, he's undersized for even a four – He'd be a small ball for in that instance. And at the time, um, explosive, plays hard, physical, uh, great defender, great rebounder. That's really what jumped out. That's what uh, elevated his floor so highly and why he kind of received that five-star status. And at that time, you you look ahead. Okay, he's got some touch. You can see him. You'll see him make one or two jump shots a game from mid-range. Maybe one time you'll step out and knock one down from three. So at the time you're when he was at the time he was ranked about top ten. Uh and so we're projecting, okay, this kid's gonna learn to make a spot shot. That's all he needs to do. The mm-hmm. defense and the rebounding, that's his bread and butter. Now if you can just teach him to pick and pop and, or just stand in the corner, and just hit a spot jumper, that's that's gonna take him to a different level. And unfortunately he hasn't really developed that aspect of his game. Um so it's kind of hard to to project what will he be like next year, and I think we won't really get understand that uh, where where that's heading to until he gets on campus and he starts getting some practices under his belt. How quickly does he pick up with the game uh, and all the terminology and all the different uh, kind of coverages and offenses that they're going to run? Um, it's he he's become a harder projection, but when it comes to positionally, me personally, I like him as a small ball five. Uh, especially with how he hasn't really developed his offensive game, his decision-making on that end. He'll take some bad shots. I just, uh, there's no real reason, rhyme or reason why he should take some of these, some of the shots that we witnessed him take this year. But um, defensively, I mean, how explosive he is, his timing on his contests, that dude can protect the rim. Even if he is six foot six, let's just even say six, six, that dude can pop off the ground and his timing is so excellent that he gets his hand on on plenty of shots around the rim, and at the very least, he's altering them. Yeah. Um, so to me personally, as of right now, I'm projecting him as a small ball five, which honestly is what Duke um, is kind of looking for, not necessarily a small ball five, but just a rim protector, Yeah. Um, yeah. which is where this Ernest Uday recruitment is kind of so – obviously, it's up in the air now, but right. we can talk about that later. But um, I think long-term, that immediately I would play him as a small ball five. And then projecting long-term, maybe he gets in campus and he really does develop that jump shot. Uh, then he can transition into that four on offense. But again, he can play. And, I mean, defensively, he can switch right. basically just about one through five because he's so athletic and so instinctive on that end. Which complements Flip really well. Because if he would be a small ball five, but if he's playing with Flip, who would be a big four in that scenario, kind of what Flip can do offensively, maybe you're able to hide Sean in some areas until they get up to speed. Um, I personally also kind of like him more as, as the small ball five as well. Um, let's get to the guy that might be my favorite prospect in the class for Duke. 
Um, he's got the chip on his shoulder. He kind of got a little bit, felt a little snub there in the McDonald's game. Um, 6'5", Caleb Foster, guard from Notre Dame High School out in California. He's ranked 18th. Um, to me, he kind of really transformed his game a little bit over the last year, kind of came in as a big kind of point guard, um, you know, kind of in that mold turned into just a bucket though. I mean, the dude's putting up like every other time I'm looked, it's like 38, eight and six. He's just really kind of going at it. Um, what do you like about him, Travis? What do you see from his game? Um, now that he's got this scoring acumen, it seems like you could almost play him kind of on the wing. You could put him on the ball, pretty versatile. What do you like about Caleb Foster? You nailed it. He's completely transformed this game. When I first saw him, it was in the middle of COVID. Pass first point guard, extremely mm-hmm. mature decision maker, set the table for everybody. Um, he would make the open shots, but he was never really looking to score. And like you said, come this last 18 months, his whole mindset transitioned to, no, I'm going to become a scorer. Um, that, I would say, I mean, you go back 18 months ago, we probably had him top 10-ish. Um, and so when he transitioned to the score, it was not always pretty. And so that played a role in him sliding down these rankings. Yeah. Um, but he continued to improve with his, his efficiency, his effectiveness. Now, I don't necessarily know he's going to be this high-volume scorer at the collegiate level um, because he doesn't have this explosive athleticism, but what he does have um, that we all particularly like about him, and you hit it too, is his size. Such a big bodyguard, man. Um, so he can play one through three basically at this point with how big and strong he is. He's really smart. Um, that's all. I remember that those first valuations, just like – how mature of a decision maker he was. I mean, even being a sophomore playing, uh, so I think he was a sophomore, maybe it was his junior year playing at Oak Hill. Like that just jumped out to so many people. Was He's playing at this huge stage, but just commanding the entire game, never turning the ball over. Um, so he's become another hard projection. What's he going to be uh, at the collegiate level? Is he going to be this one through three guy? You can use him on the ball and, let him set the table for people, or is he want to be continue to be this score? Um, it's hard to tell, but that's obviously it's a good thing in, in its own way because um, you can use him in so many different ways. He is a good shooter. He can get he can create off the dribble, especially he's he's again doesn't have the greatest burst, uh, so going to be ball screen dominant um, to create. Uh, but nothing wrong with that. It's a ball screen game anyway. So um, yeah, big fan of Caleb. Uh, he is definitely going to be an interesting one, uh, especially with K- Duke's roster next year. There's a good chance I could see him end up being a, a two-and-done player, um, but maybe he comes on campus and really proves himself to be this absolute stud, um, which is very, very possible. What do you think of him um, defensively? Because you know we might have to run some three-guard lineups next year, so I'm wondering if he could hold up defensively at the two or the three. Uh, I think you could hold up defensively at the three because he's so strong. Uh, not depends on the other team's personnel, but typically not all college threes are these big, skilled, athletic guys. Like they have one or the other. They're usually really skilled threes, uh, but they're not very athletic or they're freak athletes, but they don't have that much skill. Um, so I think, especially with his IQ and how big he is, I, I, I would have no problem seeing him in a lineup with Tyrese at the one. Uh, Jeremy at the two, and then you throw Caleb at the three. 
to me, there's uh, zero reservation about that. Yeah, that's my ideal kind of starting lineup there with Mitchell and and, and Flip, and depending on what happens in the portal, but uh, it seems like things might kind of be trending a little colder than than initially thought there. Um, so last but not least, let's talk a little bit about TJ Power um, up in Massachusetts. He comes in 19th, so all of these guys kind of wedged in between 12 and 19, pretty compacted class there. Um, TJ's kind of blown up here a little bit lately too, in terms of what he can provide another guy in that sort of tweener forward. Um, you know, I guess you can make an argument for playing him at the three, but anywhere three through potentially even five in small ball lineups, um, got the spacing capability, able to pick and pop, able to shoot, uh, Travis, what do you see from TJ? What has he kind of done over this last, uh, his, you know, senior season to put him in this category of being top 20? I absolutely love TJ Power. Absolutely love him. Um, it became like a joke on our team with how much I absolutely loved watching him play <laughs> basketball. I think he's going to be a very good college player, and he fits Duke and uh, the way they like to play. Uh, very versatile, very skilled, very intelligent. Uh, knockdown shooter, arguably the best shooter in the entire class if he had made mm. the McDonald's game. Uh, in my opinion, he should have. And had he done that, I think there's a good chance he, it would have been him and Jared duking it out for that for that three point contest. Um, but he's so much more than just a shooter, and that's what he's not not gotten a lot of credit for. He is a great passer, mm-hmm. which when you're a four three, it's not going to show up a ton. But at the high school level, they could give him the basketball. He could bring it up the court and really run the offense, and he would create for everybody. Right. Um, there's no issues with him doing that. Uh, another thing, he's a really good rebounder, plays hard, has a nose for the basketball. He's not the most physical of guys, not the most athletic, um, but he's going to fight and he's going to find out where that ball is coming off the rim and, and attack that spot. So, um, he, he's just got this skill set to impact the game in different ways. And his IQ is so high, um, that I don't personally see him playing a five just because of the lack of the physicality. Uh, and the athleticism, I think you can ball screen them and really kind of manipulate that. But mm-hmm. um, that three, four spot, uh, he's definitely going to be a serious, uh, a serious uh, asset to to this Duke program, especially again with how elite of a shooter he is. Mm. How do you see him kind of factoring in um, on the front end here? Do you think it might take a little bit to get up to speed on some certain things defensively, rotation-based, or do you think it's reasonable to expect him to make the rotation here year one? I personally would envision him expect, uh, making the rotation in year one. Um, he's old for the class, so he's got another year under his belt that we don't really all take into consideration. Um, but again, his IQ... He he does so many things at such a high level. I don't have a, a problem with him or envision a problem with him translating uh, and playing 15, 20 minutes a game next year. Um, the one thing that I think he will have to adjust to and will be just defending the perimeter at the college level. Again, he's not the most athletic, so keeping guys in front uh, laterally and on the perimeter is not a strong suit of his. We saw that with Kyle Filipowski at the start of last year. Um, but that was a growing thing. Kyle ended up being a pretty good defender for Duke. I thought last mm-hmm. year um, he improved so much laterally. It was wild. Um, yeah. So I think TJ would have to go through a similar thing where his, I envision him having a role early, but that role could continue to grow as 
his athleticism and his strength and all that stuff continues to grow and he really learns to defend and keep guys up front just like Kyle had to. Sure, sure. Um, well, kind of panning out, and you've talked about it a little bit, how do you see these four guys, this class as a whole, sort of kind of fitting in, jumping in, and getting kind of acclimated to Duke's current roster? Obviously, it's kind of foreign territory for a lot of Duke fans, returning four starters from a team. Um, you got a senior in Roach. You got three sophomores out there. It's been a while since that's happened. What what kind of chemistry do you see these guys, these four bringing in? Do you expect John to kind of maybe go a little bit deeper this year? You're thinking nine, 10 deep. Does anyone get cut out? What what do you make of all that? Uh, that's a hard question to answer because um, every, every coach has their different philosophies on how many guys they want to play because playing 10 guys can be pretty hard. Um, some people like to, especially when it comes to March time, you want to narrow that down to about eight players, um, and keep nine and 10 as reservation guys. So, um, so I don't know, but in terms of how these guys fit, I think they all bring something different, but at the same time, they all bring versatility. Um, so I could see each of these guys, um, I think each of them will basically, uh, be contributors in some sort of fashion. I think Jared will have a, a big role, but again, with Tyrese and Jeremy coming back, he's going to be the first man off the bench. Um, he'll probably play 20, 25 minutes, 20, 25 minutes, depending on the night, foul trouble, um, all that. And he'll be a, I mean, talk about a hell of a sixth man. Um, mm-hmm. Caleb Foster, I'd probably envision, assuming they're going to go a three guard lineup, I'd envision him starting. Um, and he'll have a good scoring role for them next year. I personally could see him taking two years just like Jared and all these other guys, but there's a chance he could be one and done with uh, just the lack of pop with the projecting of the 2024 draft class. Um, And then TJ, yeah, similarly, 20, 25 minutes a game would have no issue with that. So they all bring a different position, but versatility at the same time. Uh, All their games complement each other. You got – Three guys there, Caleb, Jared, and TJ, that can all shoot the basketball. Um, so I really like this class for them. Um, there's no Paulo Bancaros in this class. Right. Nobody that's going to come in. You're just going to toss the ball to him. Just say, go, just go take over the game. Right. Um, but four good college basketball players. Yeah. And John's kind of seemed to really almost go away from maybe even wanting that type of power. Obviously, I think you take a Paolo if you get a Paolo, but not looking for an alpha just for the sake of maybe having one. Um, and again, you mentioned it a little bit. You said kind of maybe Caleb could be could possibly enter that one and done territory. Um, John's talked a lot about wanting continuity. It doesn't really seem, you know, um, too far of a reach to think maybe we could also see three sophomores from this class. Does that track? 100%. I, w- I would envision I definitely three of these guys three of these four will be returning for a second year. Maybe one surprises us, but I would envision three of the four returning. Um, and to the point of this may be off topic, but just running with what you said, not looking for a Paulo Banker or an alpha. I think what Duke has done so incredibly well is they evaluated these classes, 23 and 24 early. Um, and they recognized there really wasn't any of those guys 
And yeah. so now it becomes, all right, who's going to be these guys that are going to translate and really help us from day one? And maybe that I do have for a couple of years. Um, I think they recognize that before just about anybody else in the country. And so they're really able to take calculate, make calculated decisions and pinpoint who they really wanted and they got them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, the 23 and 24 class both, neither of them really have these alphas that we've seen, like Paulo, Chet, Holmgren. Uh, but moving forward next year, or not next year, 2025, now we get into the real alphas again. Yeah. Um, that's where you got Cameron Boozer, Cooper Flagg, um, Darren Peterson even. Um, some Koa Pete out in California, you get some real studs in there, and then that's where you're going to see the alphas come back. But they recognize – there was no Apollos. There's no alphas to be had in this class. So they are like, all right, we're going to go after this certain type of kid. They knew what they wanted and they went out and found them before anybody else. And they got them to commit early. Yeah. Um, and not to get too kind of, because it's none of this is really out, out there yet, but if any of those 25 guys were to move to 24, would they then become an alpha in 24? Or do you think they moving a year up that might still kind of keep them if just one of the guys or is 25 just that loaded? Uh, 100%. Like to me, if Cooper flag were to reclassify to 2024, he is the number one player, number one prospect in 2024. Even if he is number two in 2025, that doesn't tell you anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and yeah, he would be the automatic alpha of the entire class. Mm-hmm. So there's maybe a couple others, but none others that maybe, yeah, Darren Peterson probably would be the same. Uh, Koa Pete might be the same. He's a really good basketball player too, by the way. Um, so yeah. And 25 kind of signals that like post COVID high school class era, right? Cause these guys would have had 22, 23, 24, 25. So they've not, you know, 2020, 2021, um, even 2022 to an extent, we're all still kind of a part of that weird COVID year. Um, now that we've moved past that, maybe we start to see more of these monster classes again. Um, but there's so much movement within it. Like we're talking about some of these guys might go to 24. That kind of shifts things up a little bit there. Um, well, Travis, we appreciate it. I know you got something going on after this. Um, do you want to pl- plug anything you got going on? Where can the people find you? All that good stuff. Yeah, you, you guys can find me over at 24-7 Sports. Obviously, it's where I post all my content. Um, so be sure to go follow not only me over there, but we also got Deshaun Lennon, Adam Finkelstein, Eric Bossy, and Randy Jenkins all posting content all the time. Um, so start there. You can also find me on Twitter, Travis Brandon underscore, and then Instagram at Travis Brandon 247. All right. Nice. Very nice. Well, we'll let you get out of here. Last thing, if you had to make a guess or a percentage right now, um, do you think Duke adds another player or do you think the roster's final? Uh, I am teetering towards it is probably final as of right now. Yeah. Okay. All right, man. Well, we appreciate it. Um, thanks for coming on. Maybe we'll do this again next year and we'll talk a little bit about 2024. Yeah. Sounds great. Appreciate you guys for having me. All right, man. Take care. All right. Well, we'd like to thank Travis again for coming on. Um, obviously he's pretty high on this 2023 class. He talked a little bit about like the global perspective, got into each of the individual players a little bit. Um, Raul, what did you take away from what he was saying? It's kind of tracked a little bit with our thoughts. Um, he's really high on TJ, uh, really thinks Jared's going to be able to come right in and, and be that. Do you see that tracking with, with what he's saying too, is 20 to 25 minutes for all four of these guys? 
you know, I think there's a big numbers crunch. So somebody's going to be seeing, you know, five or 10 minutes that he was projecting for 20 or 25. But I think what is good is that with these four returning players, it really just takes pressure off of each of these guys and lets them kind of fill their role. And they don't have to play outside of themselves. Now, you know, somebody like McCain, I think, is versatile enough where he could play, you know, a more kind of diversified role. But what was interesting to me was when he was talking about Sean Stewart, I was thinking about how the staff is kind of going to be able to simplify his role. You know, he mentioned that Mm -hmm. Stewart has a tendency to kind of take some bad shots. I was thinking it's going to be kind of fairly easy for John and the staff to kind of just tell him to, you know, work on his corner three, camp in the corner, give us some spacing, and then on defense, rebound the hell out of the ball and block some shots. And that could really benefit him. Whereas in high school, he's probably more asked to, you know, kind of be a little bit of more of an alpha scorer. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and to me, too, I don't get too much into the minute breakdowns, but what I think it does tell us is that these guys are good enough to where if they needed to carry 20 to 25 minutes a night at a program like Duke, they project to be able to do so. Um, that's good to know, you know, if we need a TJ to come in there. And and it really creates a lot of competition, I think. Um, I also like that he talked about Foster being that third guard to start in the three-guard lineup, despite maybe – McCain being a better prospect. Um, I think McCain really is like, I mean, if you have to pick an ideal six man, he just fits that mold perfectly. Yeah, because you can't really start him with the other two guards with, you know, right. Jeremy Roach only being six one. It's like, where are you going to have McCain defend? Um, yeah. So at that point, if you do want to play three guards, it has to be Foster. But with McCain having his kind of scoring package and also the playmaking that Travis mentioned, he seems like an ideal backup point. Yeah, for sure. I mean, because you can do so much. I mean, you can bring him in for for Proctor and play him and Roach in a smaller. You could bring him in for for Roach and maybe bring you you bring McCain and Stewart in for like yep. Roach and Proctor or Roach and Foster or however you want to kind of shift the lineup around. And you can go two guards and have like power at the three some, sure. or you can even yeah. move Mitchell back to the three occasionally. I mean, he yeah. showed he can do it last year. Right, right. And that, that really opens up the defensive too. When you think of maybe having a, a Mitchell and a Stewart out there together at the three, yep. four, you could do some kind of really cool things. Um, I also, I think the thing that I like the most about it, and this is going to get some probably flack, but I like the idea of the roster being finalized, especially hearing about what these guys can do. Um, I I don't know. I mean, to me, I think it could be good news. I think now we have enough guys that everyone can feel bought in. Everyone can have a clear role. Um, I don't know. What do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, you know, we talked about it on previous pods. I was never that fond of adding, you know, a rim protecting center just because I didn't really like flip at the four and I didn't really like Mitchell at the three. I thought it could have some utility if we were able to get um, a five who was going to stick around for a couple of years because then the minutes really open up next year. But in terms of this year's team, I don't necessarily see the need for it, especially with, you know, if Stewart can play some small ball five and then you've got Young there. And I, I like what I've seen out of Reeves and think he could at least give us some spot minutes and emergencies. Sure. Um, you know, the worry is that I've seen is that Flip could get in foul trouble. But 
if Flip managed to guard, you know, quicker fours last year and not really get in foul trouble, I don't foresee that being a problem. You know, occasionally it might be, but do you really want to bring in a big man for the three games that Flip gets in foul trouble? Right, right. Just for the sake of what, yeah, exactly. Um, And some of the bigs that we were looking at, I started to talk myself into, but what I did like from that is it signals to me that the staff was looking very selectively at a few fits, yep. but we're not just going to pivot and say, okay, let's just go grab the next name on. That's what I want to avoid. It's like, let's just not keep dipping and lowering the expectation or lowering the bar. Um, it was, it, it was really all a certain player type that they were looking at. You know, it was right, all the, the right. rim protecting low usage bigs, which yep. did fit the best. Cause that's something we don't really have right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, and a guy like Uday who had multiple years and projects to maybe not have to demand 30 minutes a game right away, um, you know, for, for outside reasons, that seems to maybe not be trending in the in the direction that it once was thought to be. Um, but I think it will be, I mean, I don't really even buy the flip being in foul trouble. That really only happened a few times last year. Lively wasn't even playing like 30 minutes a game until the very end during that 11-game win streak. Yep. Um so, you know, and we just talked about guys like Stewart, who really, he, he's, we're calling him a small ball five, but playing him with Flip and Mitchell is not a small ri- lineup or a small nope. roster. So he's really just defending the five and he's playing the offensive five uh, down there, just kind of dunker spot, setting screens, getting some of the garbage stuff. Um, and there could be a lot of switching in that, in that lineup, in which case, who's the five really, right? If you're switching everything with uh, Flip, Mitchell, and and yeah. Stewart. Yeah, I think the only thing you don't want is like a Sean Stewart, Ryan Young front court going on for too, yeah. <laughs> too long there. Um, Spacing on that would be rough. It would be really weird to see how they would uh how they would how they would operate that, but uh yeah, I mean, I'm, my takeaways is, you know, he pretty much said kind of what I had seen a little bit from the class. Um I, I like that he's really high on McCain and what he can do really as that on or off ball guy. That's what's so unique is now our backcourt, Jared McCain, Caleb Foster, Jeremy Roach, Tyrese Proctor, Jaden Shute, Jalen Blakes. That's a lot of just versatility, yep. especially those top four guys there. That's 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 a lot of ball handling. Turnovers were an issue for us last year maybe we completely flip that script. I don't know. And that's a lot of guards, but there's some size there. You know, you've got mm-hmm. uh, Proctor at 6'5". You've got Foster at 6'5". You've got Shoot, I think, at 6'5 as well. Yeah. So it's not like it's tiny. Yeah. Yeah. And then the guards that are are kind of stocky. You know, Roach yeah. is kind of stocky. He's old. He's built. He's used to it. McCain really developed his body a little bit last year. I'm sure that's going to continue um and then you got foster and stewart who are just kind of men (laughs) yeah and you at least have kind of a defensive rep coming in that's why i asked about foster's defense i'd heard it was pretty good and i've I've heard mccain is at least pretty competitive for size defensively yeah um one thing i wish we could have got into it with travis a little bit is i didn't have it wouldn't have a ton of time but I wanted to know a little bit more about, okay, Foster became this kind of score, but that actually made them drop him. So they favored yeah. him more as that point guard. And what is that going to look like? Is this just, he was a senior year, it's your team, bro, go out and do it. Or um, is that like him wanting to be more, I don't know, you know, is that John saying, hey, we want you to be a score? I wish we could have got a little more into yeah. the rationale of why this guy went from kind of Cade Cunningham White to like, yeah, volume score, you know? 
And I was wondering if they dropped him because of what we'd seen like the previous spring. So it was kind of the lingering effect. Yeah. Because it did seem like he really came back up in terms of impact, but yeah. we didn't see kind of a uh, the rise in the rankings that you would expect from that. Yeah, the decision seemed to have already kind of been made, yep. and you get kind of like a charity bump maybe. But um, yeah, and then at that point, after he's gotten passed by some guys, it's like you don't want to drop those guys if they haven't played poorly. Sure. So then it just becomes hard to make up that ground. Yeah, sure. Um, I think the last thing really worth mentioning. Um, calling TJ power, the best shooter in the class, that kind of, yeah. I've heard about his shooting. I know he's a good shooter, but that makes it, that's big time then. So if we're talking, we have the two best shooters in the class that really opens up when you're putting, you, you got to think Proctor is going to improve and be more of that late stage of the the season, kind of in terms of shooting. Um, you kind of hope Roach takes a little bit of a jump there. I mean, really all of a sudden now we could be looking at, being able to put five guys out there that can shoot 35%. And that's a low kind of bar, but I mean, that's better than what we saw last year. For sure. For sure. Um, You know, because if Flip's playing the five, 35% shooting at the five is a lot more impactful than 35% shooting at the four would be. Right. So the, the bar is just lower there if you have other shooters around him. In right. terms of power, like he's the biggest riser we have in this class. I was looking over his uh, history and he was down in the hundreds. You know, wow, yeah. uh, as of like 2021. So that always kind of bodes well for me. I, I like, I feel like we've had a good history with the players who make that late rise. Like Filipowski yeah. was one. Kyrie yeah. Irving was a big one, obviously. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's kind of got that chip too. He's really kind of coming into his own. Um, if he can really be that type of shooter at 6A, if we're talking a 40% shooter at 6A, that's mm, huge. Yeah. I mean, that is huge, especially as it projects in 24 and 25. I mean, getting kind of way ahead of myself, but I'm thinking of a junior power and a yep. Froshman, Frosh Boozer sitting there side by side. That's lethal. Yeah, and it's kind of it gives me Matthew Hurt vibes, except power does seem to have a little bit more mobility than Hurt. Hurt was yeah. pretty stiff and just couldn't move that well. And you know, I know that Travis was saying that perimeter defense isn't power strength, but if you're projecting him to play the three, that at least indicates that he's more mobile than Hurt. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've seen some of the Singler stuff. The Singler pre-knee injury was pretty good laterally. I mean, he was yeah. able to kind of really – defender. The effort level was there, too. Um, if he's anywhere near laterally quick as Kyle was, I'll take that for sure. Um, and I think Singler had more kind of off-the-ball juice, too. Just yeah. from what I remember from high school, he was like a lead ball handler a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And Kyle was just a winner for us too. Yep. So that when I think small ball five, I know obviously it's not ideal, but Hey, we put Kyle at the five for a yep. while there and we'll just roll with it. Um, yeah. So I guess before we'll get ready to get out of here, but does that, does it change anything that he said? Does it change for you? Just kind of how you view this class overall, um, your expectations of them going in or it's still kind of about where you had them? I was already really excited about the class. You know, I know we don't have a top 10, you know, recruit in there, but just in terms of like skill set, IQ and fit, fit especially. Um, and then when you throw them in with a bunch of returning players, it just becomes that much more of an ideal fit because what I said earlier, where they don't have to stretch outside of themselves. So for me, you know, it's, 
it's reassurance, if anything, that what I was thinking and feeling about the class is kind of accurate. Yeah. Um, and another way to maybe look at it is to say, well, we have three kind of, if you put our three sophomores into this class, then maybe we do have three top 10 guys. Flip yeah. was number two, right? And so it's just a little different. But if you're I mean, looking if Proctor, at it, if Proctor was entering college right now, like where would he be ranked? You'd have to he might be top, be 10, top yeah. 10, right? Like, I mean, because he, he was already kind of in that top 25 range for a while there. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that that's how I'm looking at it. If you insert three top 10 recruits into this class and now you have mm -hmm. seven in the top 20. For sure. Except three of them have a year experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if anything better than top 10 because of, you know, that college experience is something you can't like simulate at the high school level. Right. Right. Um, so, yeah, you know, I'm pretty I was already pretty high on the class, too. Um you know, so I think it kind of tracks kind of with how we felt about it. And when we get four starters coming back, it just really kind of this is all just nice optimism to yep. me. It's not <laughs> like I'm having to be on pins and needles saying, can Caleb Foster carry a top 10 offense? You know, for like, sure, for sure. He, he doesn't need to. Um, I mean, if even if they were all bus, we're fine, right? Right. Yeah. I yeah. mean, obviously, it lowers the ceiling considerably, but we'd right. still be a top 25 team. Right, right. And if like three or two of them really pop, then you're talking yep. top five kind of locked in, you yep. know, um, which I, I guess we could talk a little bit just about that. If I've seen, I think ESPN is really trying to push this Duke as preseason number one narrative. <sighs> I guess I don't really know enough about the surrounding landscape to maybe come comment too much on it, but it does seem like a little bit of a reach for me to say, wait a minute, I love it, but is it a bit reactionary? Are we looking at a 10 game sample and, and really projecting a little too far ahead of what we actually were last year? Um, or do you think we're going to be worthy of that? You know, yeah, it's interesting because it could be a little bit recency bias, like the way Duke finished the season was so good. And then you have all these players that are returning who really improved at the end of the year. But I do think it's reasonable, especially since um, my sense is that the college basketball landscape isn't going to be quite as strong this year. At least it's not going to be quite as old. Last right. year was a historically old year. So that could benefit Duke a little bit. Now we're much older relative to the competition than we were because we got older and everybody else got younger. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we finished Ken Palm 18th last year. So you return everyone um basically well you return four starters and then you only lose the two kind of surefire nba guys um just a little hesitant to maybe just have that you know i kind of like that little revenge tour mentality that underdog kind of mentality um but it seems it also seems difficult thinking that will go away john seems to have that like persona um flip definitely seems to have that proctor caleb foster is definitely kind of in that dog mentality kind of kind of guy um so maybe it just extends and we just kind of see what happens but we definitely have a ton of options i think even without adding anyone in the portal i still look at this as a really deep team i mean what do you what does that look like to you? i still see eight nine maybe even ten on a given night um kind of crack in this rotation yeah i see a main eight and then you've yeah. got the two kind of like reserves that play significantly and i do think you're gonna see one or two guys probably two get sort of shut out entirely 
especially as the season goes on, obviously they'll get to play a little bit in those early games against, you know, mid-majors or whatever, but there's just no, there's no realistic path to playing 10 guys, real minutes all season. That just doesn't happen. You know, I I think that by, it's going to look like last year where by um, March, you're going to have really eight guys. Yeah, yeah, because we were pretty ten, we were nine ish deep, yep. like ten ish deep, almost kind of for a few months, longer than we were accustomed to. Yeah, for sure. But we took off when we went to kind of seven and a half ish eight. Yeah, you yeah. know, like Grandison kind of fluctuated there. Blake's kind of got removed. Shoot, kind of got pushed out. Um, and they really kind of went to Derek and Ryan Young and Grandison as needed. You know, and that was kind of our five. What I, what I do right. like is Shire's going to seems like he's going to give guys a chance, like a yeah. legitimate chance. Whereas with K, it seemed like there were just guys he just didn't like, and they were just kind of shut out of the rotation from the get go. Yeah. It's like we never even really got to see them in game action, and maybe they weren't worthy of game action. But I don't know how you can really know that until you play them in a game. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to question it, but just from like a, a, a visual and just a personal preference, right. I like starting at 10 and getting to eight versus starting at eight and getting to six. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Especially if you're trying to retain guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you have these four, you add them with four starters, that's eight. Then obviously you got guys like Ryan Young, Jalen Blake, Jaden Shoot, that gets you to 11. Reese makes 12. Uh, so you got to think, I, Immediately, two is probably getting pushed way out, and then the other two are kind of going to be fighting to see what happens there. Um, yeah, but, my bet would be on Blakes and Shoot possibly being pushed out. I don't yeah. know. Maybe maybe Shoot does make a jump, and he will have a year of experience on you know some of these incoming freshmen, so that might benefit him. But those would be my guess. Yeah. Um, and, and and maybe we do tend to stay towards nine deep if we want to kind of do some like trapping type stuff, some pressing type stuff. If he really wants to just play up tempo and use these guards and you put him a cane, you put a Jaden shoot, you put a power around a guy like flip down low. It's going to be very difficult to guard that. It's going to be difficult for us to stop anyone, too. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's so maybe we'll see him kind of get into the bag a little bit um, and, you know, hopefully we'll just be blowing some teams out and then we can play 10 deep and it won't matter. But that never seems to be the case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, especially if the offense looks like last year. Yeah, I don't foresee anybody going over 30 minutes, maybe Proctor and Roach, but yeah, kind of yeah. a lot of guys in that 20 to 28 minute range. Yeah, I I really kind of expect that too. I think we're going to have to like monitor and protect Flip a little bit, not because he's going to be playing the five, because he's coming off double hip surgery and this is a long season. And so um, he's a guy that really kind of gives up the body a lot of times too. I think if you put him at 28 minutes, his per 40s are going to be phenomenal though. Like they're going to be phenomenal. And get him Um, at like 25% usage instead of 32 or whatever. Right, right. Um, and then depending on a night, you know, if it's a tight game, then he's playing 35, and that's just the way it is. Yeah, for but, sure. Um, you know, for the most part, there should be some some space there. But we'll see, man. we got a tough schedule. So it's going to be hit the ground running. We'll know pretty soon, like pretty early in the year, kind of if that number one was just a farce or if we're going to be able to live up to that. So um, we'll see. 
I think it'll benefit us in the long run, but if we only win half those tough games, we could be down near the bottom of the top 25 pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, you know, like you could sit there and be like, I don't know exactly when all the games fall, but you could be something like three and four and kind of feel good mm, about yep. yourself, maybe, you know, or yeah, feel exactly. okay. Like it's, it'd be weird, but um, I'm well, glad I, he's I, doing it. I believe I said this in uh, one of our chats or something, but I would always rather play those tough games with a high upside yeah. because there's no benefit to playing like the 75th best team yeah, on a I neutral. Agree. You don't get anything out of it resume wise. And if you lose, it looks bad. Yeah. So I'd just rather play a top 10 team and see where yeah. we're at. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I really like, too, the idea of bringing back the, some of the home and homes. I love the big neutral yep. venues, but to me, like – you want to really bring back Duke as the forefront, Cameron as the forefront. You bring an Arizona to Duke. You bring a Gonzaga to Duke into Cameron, and let's play that game in November, December. Like that gets me really excited. Not the ACC Big Ten, we kind of had that, but you bring in one of these other West Coast kind of teams, and then we go out there one year. Um, I love the idea of bringing that back. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when was the last time we saw that? Was uh, we had the St. John series, but you know that's up. Uh, being played at like msg and duke so msg is almost like another duke right so it's like was that really the same i I think probably the like early 90s kind of during the leitner era we used to do a lot of those home and homes yeah but really since then yeah yeah since then we haven't seen it and you know like i'm thinking of carolina and kentucky have typically kind of had like a home and home thing going on for a little while there um we've had it in the past but we really haven't seen that in a long time so if you're a season ticket holder, I think it's really cool. And that's an awesome opportunity. And I think it's just great to have that level of game, top five, top 10 matchup in like a November, December. Like that's that's pretty big time, um, especially with the way the conference is mm-hmm. and the length yeah. of it. We've talked about that. It's hard to kind of validate yourself once you get to January. It's almost impossible by February. So, you know, you got to schedule these teams now. Got to play a tougher, tougher out of conference schedule. Yeah, rack up some uh, great wins and then just kind of coast through the conference. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, or only just hit like two or three bad losses and then just like obliterate the ACC and yeah, exactly. know, get a one seed and call it Gonzaga. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. But um, I, I guess we'll go ahead and get out of here again. Kind of thanks to Travis for coming on, talking a little bit about the class. We got some things in the works. John's going to come on. Uh, Watson, we're going to do a mailbag episode. It's kind of part of the, the the boards over there at the site. Um, Steve Cart's going to Pete Jim in July. So once he gets back, we're going to have him on. Really excited to kind of deep dive into the boozers and flags and some of that 24-25 class, Isaiah Evans and those guys. Um, so, you know, a lot of off-season stuff coming up. Still going to try to do a draft thing here at some point to kind of um talk more about that as we get more into june so uh you know stay tuned we're a little bit off schedule again during the summer so we're not dropping super consistently we actually have been doing almost weekly pods despite Mm -hmm. saying we weren't so um if the content's there if the guests are there we'll continue to put them out um so stay tuned in the meantime you can email us at the devil's den pod at gmail.com you can find us on the boards at the devil's den.com uh we're on twitter at devil's den pod 247 um, and you know the deal. Keep the faces strong in the verify. Go to. Do-